to South Sudan and focus on the voice of America. I'm Nabil Biajo in Washington, working on this program via remote. Here are some of the top stories making news across South Sudan this Wednesday, January 4th, 2023. 13 people were killed this week in attacks in Abyei. NWFP starts to implement a $3.7 billion plan to fight food insecurity in South Sudan. In January 2023, the World Food Program will start the implementation of a new strategic plan for South Sudan covering 2023 to 2025. We will have these stories and more coming up on South Sudan in Focus. Authorities in the Abyei administrative area say 13 people were killed this week after young men from Warab State attacked the area. The authorities say five other people were injured and 27 houses were burned. The United Nations Interim Security Force in Abyei, UNISFA, said about 200 armed men carried out the attack. For VOA News, Waki Simon Wudu files this report from the capital, Juba. The attack was the latest in a series in Abyei since early last year when a young man from the area began a clashing with the men from neighboring Warab state over a border dispute. Ajak Deng, the information minister in the Abye administrative area, says the Monday morning classes broke out when Amdi youth from Twitch County of Warab state attacked the area. Deng says a number of people were displaced from their homes following the attack. The United Nations Interim Security Force in Abyei or UNESFA confirmed the incident Monday, saying 13 people were killed and 27 houses burnt in a village called the Romamir, 15 kilometers south of Abyei Box. The statement says UNISFA is investigating what led to the attack. It also says the UNISFA troop presence has been enhanced in Romamir village and troops are patrolling neighborhoods to block potential armed groups. UNISFA's acting head of mission and force commander Brigadier General Abu Said Mohammed Bekir condemned the attack. He said it can only contribute to the tension and increase the risk of renewed violence in the area. Deng accuses one militia leader he could not name of leading their attacks. He has taken part because he's been accommodated there. He's been accommodated in Harvard by the people from Ajaquite and he's the, and therefore he's uh, he aligned with them and they are they share this attack uh, and has been participating in some of the attacks and in this, uh, and this uh, war that has started since last year. So he has been a part of it. We don't know what is the reason. Why should they come and attack the civilians? William Wall, the Warab State Information Minister, calls the incident an isolated one. Although he denies reports that a militia group in Twitch led the attacks, he says chances are high that criminals are taking advantage of the state of insecurity and a conflict between the people of Twitch County and Abyei. Uh, 
the governor of Warabi State has urgently called a security meeting yesterday and he has dispatched a security committee led by a security advisor to the area for further investigation. Of course, in the area there between Peach and, uh, and, and, and Ngok, uh, there has been a dispute and tension all along. But it seems there are criminals who usually want to take this advantage of uh, this, this tension between the two communities. Eddie Moniakani is executive director of local group Community Empowerment for Progress Organization, or SEPO. He says anti-youth from pastoralist communities across the country are increasing and are undermining the rule of law and the government's mandate to protect civilians. Yakani says President Salvaquer should take responsibility. He says civilians across the country are suffering from the actions of the empty kettle headers. We have seen this incident that happened in Rumich, that happened in Mangala, that happened in Gumruk, and what's going on in Upper Nile and some incidents in Tonch East all shows clearly that armed cattle herders are telling the government they are powerful and they don't listen to the government and they undermine the constitutional obligation of the government. This is a serious uh, concern. Yakani says SEPO officials think some politicians, chiefs, military generals and spiritual leaders are involved in influencing and fueling the violence. He says it's time the government moves to hold anyone involved in fueling this violence accountable. We'd like to urge His Excellency President that as you made a call for year 2023 to be a year of forgiveness, reconciliation and development, does it need to move further steps in holding perpetrators of deadly and inhuman violence across the country accountable? Making political statements without holding indisciplined politicians outside there in the states, in the communities for fueling violence that are deadly and inhuman, it is not of great success. A South Sudanese security expert on Tuesday warned that if the government does not take urgent action to contain the violence, it may get out of hand. President Kerr has called on pastoralists to return to their areas of origin to reduce classes. For VN News, I'm Simon Udo in Juba. And from Abye, we move to Juba, where the World Food Program says it is starting to implement a new strategic plan for South Sudan covering 2023 to 2025. The WFP's acting country director for South Sudan says the agency's executive board approved the plan valued at 3.7 billion U.S. dollars in November. For VOA News, Dengai Deng has the details from Bor. Adeinka Badejo, the World Food Program Acting Country Director in South Sudan, says the strategic plan's fundings is meant for disaster management and food security for the next three years. In January 2023, the World Food Program will start the implementation of a new strategic plan for South Sudan covering 2023 to 2025, and it is valued at U.S. dollar 3.7 billion for three years. We were honored to have the presence of Her Excellency, Madame Rebecca Nyadeng de Mabio, the Vice President of the Republic of South Sudan, during the executive board meeting, at which point she made a compelling advocacy in support of this strategic plan. 
In 2023, about 9.4 million people in South Sudan are expected to need humanitarian assistance and protection, including more than 2 million people who have been forcefully displaced and nearly 3 million people projected to face physical harm, including rape and other forms of gender-based violence. The United Nations says 8 million people may be severely food insecure at the peak of the lean season between April and July this year in South Sudan. It says women and girls remain at risk of being attacked while carrying out their daily routines such as fetching firewood. Badejo says the strategic plans aims to support over 7 million people in South Sudan during the three years to improve food security. Its programs include food assistance to people affected by conflicts and climate crisis and providing school meals to address the nutritional needs of children and encourage them to attend school. Uh, the plan also aims to support smallholder farmers to increase food production. There is also a component to support communities to adapt to the effect of climate change, as well as other infrastructure development activities that we hope to uh, continue, including the construction of roads and, uh, and dikes as part of our disaster mitigation interventions. She says the new strategic plan is ambitious as it will focus on the areas worst affected by conflict and the climate crisis. And will contribute to peace. But as you say, the plan was developed as part of the United Nations Sustainable Development Cooperation Framework in support of the revised national strategy. Gathering the funds, however, remains a problem. We continue to rely on the generosity of our donors to mobilize resources to implement this new strategic plan over the coming three years. We have currently mobilized approximately 590 million U.S. dollars, but we still have a critical gap of 3.1 billion U.S. dollars. Badeja says the WAP is concerned about the rising humanitarian needs in South Sudan and urges the parties to the 2018 revitalized peace agreement to make progress in implementing it. As we speak, subnational violence is escalating in parts of the country, destroying lives and livelihoods and leading to more population displacements. The country needs peace to be able to reverse the negative trends of food insecurity and climate change. With peace, people can return to their normal lives and contribute to the development of the nation. The UN Office for the Coordination of Humanitarian Affairs says vulnerable people in South Sudan continue to suffer the effects of years of social and political instability, food insecurity and natural disasters such as flooding. UN OSHA says ongoing conflict, including regional violence, has affected thousands of people in 2022, leading to displacements, loss of lives and livelihoods. The UN agency says that this has also exacerbated people's chronic vulnerabilities and increased the need for life-saving humanitarian assistance and protection. For VOA News, I am Deng Gaiding in Bor.
The head of the Norwegian Refugee Council says 2022 has been one of the toughest years ever for modern humanitarian work. Jan Eglund tells VOA's Carol Van Damme that it's because international humanitarian groups have never recorded as many people displaced by violence worldwide before as they have this past year, including hundreds of thousands of people in Africa. Well over a hundred million people displaced. 14 million of those in Ukraine alone, but of course it didn't get better in Syria or in Yemen or in the Congo or in the drought-stricken Somalia and so many other places because it got worse in Europe, uh, meaning we have more crises with tremendous uh, neglect than perhaps ever before because all eyes from the donor side, from Europe, from North America, are on Ukraine. Like you say, a lot of people were focused on Ukraine and possibly to the detriment of other places. Can you talk about some of these other places? Hundreds of thousands of people were displaced in other countries as well. Yes, we in the Norwegian Refugee Council, we really try to go after needs and needs alone. It's called impartiality among the humanitarian principles that we live by. And every year we publish a list of the world's most neglected crisis in terms of money and resources per person in need, in terms of political and diplomatic interest in solving the crisis, and in terms of global media interest. And all of the top most neglected crises were in Africa in 2022, all of them. The Democratic Republic of the Congo was number one. Up there was uh, as well Burkina Faso, Cameroon, Nigeria, everything across the Sahel and Somalia. These crises have been also very hard hit by the war in Ukraine because of the cost spike for food, fuel, and fertilizer caused by the war in Ukraine, but also of the aftermath of the uh, COVID pandemic, where supply lines uh, faltered and, and, and inflation took off, and the uh, income of the very poorest was uh, decreased. And finally, there is climate change. It's already upon us. And those who did the least to cause climate change are first and hardest hit, like the people on the drought-stricken Horn of Africa. That's Jan Eglund, Secretary General of the Norwegian Refugee Council. He was speaking with my colleague, Carol Van Dam. You're listening to South Sudan in Focus on the Voice of America. Coming up, Tanzania lifts a ban on political rallies. Stay tuned for the details coming up after this break. What do you think? People speak out on important questions. The question today... Tell me about your favorite person. My favorite person is my best friend. I've been best friends since when we were children and we've grown up. We are in tertiary level and we are still very close and good friends. 
My favorite person is my friend, and she's a lady who really knows her worth. She knows her values. She stands for her values and all. She doesn't compromise. My mom is my favorite person. She inspires me. She gives me the courage to do anything that I want. Me, I'm a fan of basketball. I play basketball. And uh, the person I like and impresses me too much is uh, LeBron James. I follow him so much and uh, I like his game. What do you think? A daily discussion of important questions from VOA. You're listening to South Sudan in Focus on the Voice of America. Tanzanian President Samia Suluhu Hassan has lifted a six-year ban on political rallies. VOS Charles Kombe has the story from Dar es Salaam. The president made the remarks at State House Tuesday during a meeting with leaders of political parties. Our responsibility is to protect you to hold political rallies peacefully, finish well and live safely, the president says. Your responsibility as a political party is to follow the laws as they say. Let's do mature politics. Let's do politics to build and not tear down. Since coming to power after the death of predecessor Johnny Magufuli in 2021, Hassan has taken steps to break away from his policies, which were seen as Muslim political dissent. Benson Singo is the deputy secretary of the Party for Democracy and Progress, better known as Chadema. He says, we are not celebrating this because it's our right. We are delayed in conducting our duties as political parties, which is our right according to the law. Singo asked that what we need to come together as Tanzanians to push our leaders who swear to administer and protect the law and should follow the laws. Some opposition politicians say the president's move should be a foundation stone for democracy in the country. Abdul Nondo is a youth win national chairperson of the Opposition Alliance for Change and Transparency Party. Nondo says, as political party leaders, political parties should use this loophole to make sure that we will demand big reforms in our laws and constitution so that all these rights that some leaders have been breaking will be protected. He added that we should make sure there will be no other leaders in the future who come and use their words to break people's rights. Kumbusho Dawson, executive director of Reach Out Tanzania, a non-government organization advocating for human rights, says... He is optimistic about the future. It is something that is good for the nation because political parties can explain the people's problems and present their policies, he says. But also, Dawson adds, the president clearly explains the issue of continuing the new constitution. Dawson adds, the president clearly explains the issue of continuing the new constitution process. All of these will contribute to removing oppressive laws. In previous speeches, President Hassan has touched on key issues affecting Tanzania, particularly democracy, raising hopes for change. Implementing these changes may yet prove to be a challenge. Despite the president's different approach, she's from the same party as Magufuli and will still need its backing. Charles Kombe, for View News. In Dar es Salaam, Tanzania.
Somalia's President Hassan Sheikh Mahmoud announced Sunday the country will hire a record 3,000 new teachers to try to bridge a wide education gap. The move follows a Mohammed 2.50 fourfold increase in the Somali Ministry of Education's budget for 2023. But critics note funding for education is still poor and that insecurity and poverty have pushed the majority of Somali children out of school. Ahmed Mohammed reports for VOA from Somalia. The New Year's Day budget announcement by President Mohamud marked one of Somalia's most ambitious education campaign in years. Mohamud said Somalia this year will hire 3,000 more teachers to address a shortage that has hindered learning. In an interview with VOA, Somalia's Ministry of Education Director General Mohamed Hassan says the teachers are sorely needed. He says 1,000 teachers are on the government payroll in Mogadishu and all the regional states combined for the past five years. Hassan says the ministry's latest report shows only a quarter of school children have access to education. Hassan says the new teachers will be recruited with priority given to areas of Somalia that have little access to education. He says special opportunities will be given to districts where there are very few school students and also to areas where the Khawarij were dislodged. Khawarij, which loosely translates those who deviate from the Islamic faith, is the term Somali authorities use to refer the Islamist militant group Al-Shabaab. Mahmoud last year declared all-out war on the Islamists and federal troops and their backers have since made gains in taking back territory that was under the group's control. Ashabab-run areas of Somalia are locked out of Somalia's formal education as the group imposes a curriculum based on a harsh interpretation of Islam. President Mahmoud in his New Year's Day speech vowed to eliminate the militants in 2023. The president last week quadrupled Somalia's education budget this year to 34 million U.S. dollars. While it is the highest education budget in years, critics say it is still far from the funding needed to instruct the country's youth. Suad Abdullah is the founder of the Somali Institute of Special Educational Needs and Disability. She tells VOA that poor funding is the main reason why most Somali children are failing to attend school. Abdullah says close to 70% of children are not in school because of several factors. The first one is the lack of funding. She says as the large percentage of Somalis are living on less than a dollar per day while most schools in the country are private. Mohammed Osman Ali is a teacher at Farouk Primary and Secondary School in Mogadishu. He says the increased funding, while much less than to other ministries, will still help to boost education. He says education in Somalia has suffered underfunding for the longest time. He says ministries such as defense and security get more than 10 times what we get in the education sector. He says he's happy the government is now increasing funding to enable Somali children to go to school. Access to education in Somalia remains among the lowest in the world.
The UN Children's Fund, UNICEF, says 3 million Somali children are out of school. Ahmed Mohamed for VOA News, Mugadishu, Somalia. The U.S. House of Representatives failed to choose the next Speaker of House Tuesday as a group of conservative U.S. lawmakers continued to vote against fellow Republican Kevin McCarthy's bid to lead the 118th session of Congress. VOA's congressional correspondent Catherine Gibson has more. For the first time in 100 years, U.S. lawmakers in the House of Representatives have not elected a Speaker of the House in one round of voting, despite Republicans winning the majority. Republican Representative Elise Stefanik. The people across this great nation spoke loudly and clearly that they wanted a new direction. They wanted a new direction to stop this radical far-left agenda, to hold Joe Biden accountable, and to save the United States of America. After three rounds and several hours of voting, Republican leader Kevin McCarthy still could not command the 218 votes, a simple majority of the 434 members of the U.S. House needed to be elected. A speaker has not been elected. Republicans hold a narrow lead in the incoming U.S. House of Representatives, meaning McCarthy can lose only four votes and still be elected as speaker. As many as 20 conservative Republicans objected to his candidacy. Republican Representative Scott Perry. And the guy that wants to be speaker agrees that Washington is broken. Washington, and, and he said as much in one of his most recent correspondences. Interestingly enough, over the 14 years that he's been in leadership, he's done almost virtually nothing to change it. And instead voted for conservative Republican Jim Jordan, Republican Representative Matt Gates. Maybe the right person for the job of Speaker of the House isn't someone who wants it so bad. All 212 House Democrats voted for incoming Democratic leader Hakeem Jeffries to serve as Speaker of the House. Democratic Representative Pete Aguilar. Madam Clerk, a Latino is nominating for leader of this chamber a black man for the first time in our history. But with Jeffries and McCarthy unable to command 218 votes, it appears a compromise candidate must emerge. U.S. House lawmakers cannot be sworn in, and no legislating or committee business can happen until a speaker is chosen. The House will meet again Wednesday to resume a fourth round of voting. Catherine Gibson, VOA News, Capitol Hill. And that's all we prepared for you this Wednesday. Don't forget to check out voaafrica.com for all your favorite programs and news updates. If you missed this broadcast, go to www.voaafrica.com forward slash South Sudan. We now leave you with the song Binia Juba by Kuzo's clan. Ha, <laughs> 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 <laughs>
Washington. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. 